Welcome to the Informed Discussions podcast, where we discuss the latest economic, demographic, and public policy research that is helping Utah prosper. I'm Nick Theriot, Communications Director at the Gardner Institute. Today, we'll be talking economic insights on inflation, interest rates, public finance, and more with our guest, Gardner Institute Chief Economist, Phil Dean. Prior to joining the Gardner Institute, Phil served as former Governor Herbert's Executive Director of the Governor's Office of Management and Budget, after having previously served as the state budget director and chief economist. So let's get started. First topic today, of course, number one in most people's minds, inflation. We are recording this around 2 p.m. on uh, Wednesday, July 13th. A few hours ago, it was announced that U.S. consumer prices continue to surge in June. Year-over-year CPIs soared 9.1%, the largest gain since 81. Utahns and Americans overall are citing it as the number one issue for them and their families, whether it's gas, meat, or other goods. Prices have been on the rise. So what, in your view, have been the primary drivers of these trends? What What are we looking at here? The biggest increases that we've seen are in energy. Uh, This is most prominently seen in gas prices. So our $5 gallon gas prices, a very prominent price that people see every day. They see it every time they fill up their tank. They see it every time they drive by a gas station. And so energy prices are up over 40% overall on a year-over-year basis. Uh, That's a very, very high uh, rate of increase. It probably should go without saying. Uh, But it's not only energy, it's these broad-based increases in prices in the economy. So you look at food prices, as you mentioned, and especially grocery prices. So grocery prices up about 12% uh, compared to restaurant prices, up about 7.5%. You look at other uh, new vehicles continue uh, to, to have higher prices, although they're not growing as rapidly as they have in the past. So it's this broad-based increase uh, in inflation in the economy, and especially on necessities, and people are feeling that. Kind of getting more specific here to the Mountain West, where Utah is, and we're seeing the average number. That, that 9.1% is average across the board, but we've, we've seen that the Intermountain West in particular has been hit harder by these numbers. We're seeing numbers above that. Can you talk a little bit about, about why that is and, and what those numbers are? Yeah, so here in the mountain region, we're at 9.9%. So I just use around 10% inflation. We're higher than the U.S. overall. And I think it's important to remember that every region and even every household experiences inflation individually. And so these numbers are national numbers. They're averages for the U.S. as a whole. But we all experience that in different ways. And here in the mountain region in particular, We've been one of the fastest growing regions. And so th- that puts upward pressure on prices as, as you have consumers that coming out of the pandemic are actually very well situated financially in total. Um, and so we're kind of competing against each other, bidding up prices as we improve our homes, as we buy recreational equipment, all the things that have happened since the pandemic. Uh, we kind of compete against each other and, and drive up prices as consumers. So. Increased growth, more growth in the Mountain West means essentially kind of higher inflation as a result of that increased growth and increased needs and demand. Is that is that kind of what yep. we're, we're driving at there? Yep, and right, 
coming out of the pandemic again, we've had the highest inflation rates in the mountain region. Uh, now we're second to the region that includes Texas, that also has very strong growth. But you see these fast-growing uh, states and regions are where we're seeing the highest inflation. Interesting. So there are plenty of solutions or efforts being you know, kicked around to help alleviate these upward trends. The Fed has raised interest rates, recently announced they're going to raise it even further soon. There have been releases from the Strategic Oil Reserve specific to energy. You mentioned that's the number one driver right now. Uh, increasing supply. There are arguments to be made for uh, for increasing domestic production, et cetera, uh, to help kind of stave off or level off these rising gas prices, among other trends. Can you talk a little bit about these as well as kind of the inherent risks they carry? There are economists out there now talking about the R word. More and more experts are now saying a recession is more and more likely. What's your take on this? And uh, what are you seeing in the numbers? Yeah, so let me first start uh, just thinking about responses uh, since the pandemic. The demand has been very strong since those first two months. So you look at March and April of 2020, uh, widespread uh, economic challenges, uh, people kind of hunkering down a little bit. Um, federal government sent out a lot of money. Uh, interest rates dropped dramatically. And in the aftermath of that, demand has been very strong. What we've definitely seen a lot of constraints on is supply. So you look at uh, labor shortages, those are adding to it. You look at uh, global supply chain issues and having difficulties uh, throughout the pandemic in gooding, goods here that are part of these global supply chains. And so the challenges that we face as an economy after those first two months really weren't demand focused, they were supply focused. And that's where I think a lot of the solutions need to continue to come from is from increase uh, supply, whether that's on uh, regulatory burden, whether it's working through supply chain issues internationally, but a lot of supply chain challenges out there. So then circling back to the second part, thinking about uh, a recession, certainly there are many economic challenges out there. I think those are very, um, like they're getting a lot of coverage. You, you see a lot of out there, again, continuing supply chain challenges, continuing labor constraints. Uh, Federal Reserve increasing interest rates. So when interest rates go up, uh, these things that we finance, uh, think cars, think homes, think business equipment, think business factories, then become more expensive. And so with that, people will tend uh, to do less of those things, and that helps to moderate the economy. And so we're certainly, uh, there's definitely more risk. Some people are saying, that it's like a guarantee that we're going to have a recession. Now, I'm 100% confident that at some point in the future, we're going to have a recession. Uh, <laughs> but over over the near term, I, I still think there's a lot of underappreciated strength in the economy. Uh, you look at household balance sheets that are very strong. People actually paid down debt uh, during the pandemic, unlike the uh, global financial crisis, uh, the Great Recession, where debt levels uh, increased, people you know put more on credit cards and whatever. Here, people actually paid down debt. Uh, people still have a lot of accumulated savings. So I think those uh, economic strengths need to be balanced against the many economic risks and very real economic risks. Uh, people are very unhappy. You look at consumer sentiment that it's at all time lows at a national level, and. Um, so there, there are a lot of uh, challenges, including continued increasing interest rates, uh, but there are also, I think, a lot of underappreciated economic strengths uh, and resiliency that's still in the economy. 
So you, we've touched on this a little bit. Let's do more of a deep dive on some of these uh, topics, including the labor market. Uh, unemployment in Utah stands at roughly 2%, 3.6% nationally. While we tend to think of low unemployment as a good thing, this also presents the challenge of labor shortages, as you mentioned, a tight, tight labor market. Which sectors are hit hardest by this, and will the effects in Utah be greater uh, due to our, our lack of workers in, in these sectors that we're watching closely? Or how does, how does it compare in Utah compared to the nation as a whole? Yeah, so coming out of the pandemic, Utah and Idaho led the nation uh, in terms of returning to full employment. And so we've been at that level uh, for a while where it's much more recent uh, for many other states that, that uh, had more severe economic challenges maybe going into the pandemic, where we came from a position of economic strength prior to the pandemic. And then, uh, like every other state, had significant challenges, uh, especially early on and have emerged from that. Uh, in the aftermath, I think a number of things have happened. Uh, you still have lingering pandemic effects that, that still you have people uh, maybe not wanting to come back into the labor force if they don't have to, uh, that with you know the accumulated amounts of money that they still have in savings from the money the federal government sent out, uh, they may not feel the necessity uh, I think inflation's enforcing some of that necessity now uh, with higher prices that people are having to pay. Um, but another aspect of it that I think is maybe underappreciated is the demographic piece of it, that you've had uh, baby boomers retire, uh, and some of that I don't think is coming back. So, you know, I, I think back to before the pandemic even, uh, you look at the tech industry, you look at construction industries. We had labor shortages taking place before the pandemic occurred. So this isn't all related to the pandemic. I think some of it is. Uh, you look at the data for those 55 and older uh, that you saw drop uh, in labor force participation. That Again, with those retirements, maybe you can get pe those people back at least part-time or in a consulting basis back into the labor force uh, at some level. But some of it I do think is a permanent uh, change driven by demographics that's going to be the new normal that's going to take some getting used to. We're not, we're not used to having scarce labor. I think it's been a long time. We, uh, we've had kind of cheap, plentiful labor. Uh, I think we're in a new economic environment now. Speaking of the impacts of the pandemic, supply chains, we also briefly touched on here that the pandemic revealed severe deficiencies in the global supply chains, deficiencies that are still to this day uh, causing issues on the flow of goods into the U.S. and around the world. Important items such as car parts, superconductor chips, even baby formula, as uh, has been mentioned in the media several times, are in uh, short supply. What is driving this, and is there an end in, in sight? When, uh, when can we expect relief in the supply chain? Is there any sign of, uh, of, it, uh, of, of relief, or uh, what, uh, what are we seeing there? So I do think there are some signs that some of the global supply chain things are starting to work out. Certainly, they're not back to a pre-pandemic normal, uh, but you do see a greater flow of goods. Uh, we're seeing uh, buildup in inventories, especially in, in some big-ticket items. Uh, the supply chain kinks got worked out quicker than anticipated, uh, and uh, in some cases, retailers had a, a too, too much of you know, TVs and furniture, appliances, some of these big ticket items, uh, and they've ended up discounting them a little bit um, because of it. Uh, so uh, I think there are signs definitely of improving supply chain uh, taking place. 
as you think overall about the long-term trends here, I think the pandemic revealed that uh, we have very vulnerable supply chains. And I, th I think some of what we're experiencing right now is uh, firms working through a process of reorienting their supply chain. Maybe they don't want to be completely uh, out of China, but they also don't want to be completely reliant on China. So we're see seeing uh, what's called reshoring, bringing things back into the U.S. Uh, for manufacturing or nearshoring them, bringing them to uh, countries that are uh, closer and maybe more reliable. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of an ongoing uh, shift coming out of the pandemic. Uh, just also a lot of questions, I think, about the regulatory environment uh, in the case of baby formula. Uh, it's you know, not having uh, multiple producers. So if a single producer went down, created a lot of challenges. Uh, I think that speaks to issues of, uh, of regulation. I think it speaks to market power of, of a small number of firms. So I think there are a number of, of issues to work through there that aren't overnight uh, resolutions. The, these are things that, that take, time, uh, take time to work through, but it does seem like there's improvement taking place in supply chain. Um, we have to add, uh, we have to sort of we have to of course wrap up for folks in terms of the uh, the biggest headwinds and tailwinds we're seeing. Let's start with the headwinds. We'll start with the with we'll, we'll end on the good note. But first, before <laughs> we get to that, let's talk about headwinds. What do you see as the biggest headwinds facing the economy right now, both in Utah and the U.S. Really, the global economy. I imagine they align more or less uh, the same uh, currently. But uh, let's talk about just the the few that you see as the biggest headwinds. Yeah. So. Inflation, broadly, I uh, think these price levels have consumer sentiment uh, at historic lows, uh, continued supply chain disruptions, continued uh, labor shortages. Uh, thinking back to price increases, in particular here, both short-term and long-term, I think the greatest uh, threat to the Utah economy is housing prices not being affordable uh, for middle-income people. And that's a real challenge we have as a state that I think we need to address. Uh, thinking of it beyond just uh, the, you know, the current housing price situation, uh, it speaks to availability of labor. If, it, if it's too expensive for our kids and grandkids to live here, they're going to be moving to other states where this relationship between wages uh, and housing is more affordable. And I think we risk becoming uh, – something like Silicon Valley, right, where the people that have been there for a long time are really well situated because their home values are, are you know, skyrocketed. Uh, they're fine. Um, but those that come after can't afford to buy those homes. And I, I think that's the single biggest risk uh, is how that then that permeates the entire economy. That To some extent, you start hollowing out some of the middle class. Uh, and, and I think it's that vibrancy that we need uh, that labor force, all of, all of these challenges that that in many ways relate back to housing costs that are so high. Yeah, as promised, what do you see working in our favor right now? Uh, what uh, what do we what can we point to that says that, that that's working or is or is back on track or 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 is has, is improving in the past weeks, days, months? What uh, what's working in our favor currently in terms of the economy? Yeah, and I'll divide that into two parts. I'll look at the U.S. economy and then the Utah economy. So thinking about the U.S. economy, uh, household debt levels, 
have declined, and that may be changing some. But but throughout the pandemic, uh, debt service payments uh, are at multi generational lows, and so that creates a lot of spending capacity out there in household budgets. Uh, you look at savings, and some of this was forced savings uh, during the pandemic when things were shut down and. Uh, with supply chain constraints and everything, you just actually couldn't spend the money even if you wanted to sometimes. Um, there's, uh, there's kind of this built-in continued spending capacity that, that's carrying over. And it's one of my greatest uncertainties about inflation and getting inflation under control is, is that there still is a lot of money flowing out there through the economy. And so how do we, uh, how do we manage that? In our own individual situation, how uh, how quickly do we spend that savings? Or maybe people decide they're permanently going to keep higher levels of savings, uh, given inflation and everything, and the uncertainty around that. Um, and in terms of the Utah economy, just thinking uh, about our strengths again, we uh, coming out of uh, the global financial crisis, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, we've had by far the strongest economic growth of any state. So we've, we've weathered uh, the pandemic better, but we're, we're kind of on this um, win streak as a state. And I think there are a lot of things that, that uh, influence that. It's our young, well-educated population. I think it's a, a reasonable uh, tax and regulatory environment. Certainly our uh, physical location is Crossroads of the West uh, contribute to that. Um, our diverse economy, that, that we have one of the most diverse economies in the U.S., which did not used to be the case in Utah. Uh, we used to be heavily concentrated uh, in a smaller number uh, of economic sectors. So we definitely have a lot moving in our favor as a state. Uh, and even if a recession were to occur, uh, I'm confident that as a state, we're as well situated as any state out there uh, to work through any challenges that may arise. That's good. Um, in closing, Phil, I just want to ask one, one, last, uh, one last point here. Much of what we've talked about today, uh, the vast majority relates back to the pandemic. Some not, but most of what we're seeing right now, what we're talking about, relates back to the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm just curious what you think. If you were to be the first economist to write a book, something a titled something to the effect of economic lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, what, what, what would be, I think... Uh, what in your mind would be kind of the key takeaways that uh, whether it be local, state, federal government could take away from this, whether it be the consumer could take away from this, whether it be, uh, uh, you know, just co- corporations, business, large and small, what would be, I think, kind of the just a few couple bullet points, I think that uh, well, more than a couple, but a few bullet points that you'd see as the major key takeaways that what, what we can learn from this pandemic and how we come out the other side stronger than we were before. A lot of deficiencies revealed, of course, but how could we come out of it stronger than before and learn these lessons? Yeah, I think there are uh, maybe two lessons I'll, I'll respond to that with. Uh, the first is the importance of resiliency. Uh, many of our systems, as you mentioned, the pandemic revealed, uh, were very fragile, that, that, that we had single point of failure uh, in different ways. And I, I think that's one of the important lessons uh, coming out of the pandemic is the ability to, to respond to rapidly changing conditions and, and having backup plans, having alternatives available instead of being reliant. Uh, you know, just as one example for acquiring mass, uh, being uh, reliant on China for that 
was basically a failed approach to that. Uh, so I think broadly, uh, I think this applies at the household level, uh, to companies, to governments, uh, thinking about building in uh, reserves, thinking about building in alternatives so that you're not set on a single path and that's your only way that you can respond, of, of having ability uh, to respond in different ways. Uh, the second way that I'll respond uh, is that government matters. Uh, for good or ill, uh, what government does has very significant impacts on the daily lives of people. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think of uh, some of the, the first amounts that uh, were allocated during the pandemic in the, in the federal fiscal stimulus. Uh, very beneficial. The economy very much needed that. Uh, we were on a very bad path. Uh, and that kind of provided some degree of confidence, pro provided a, a much needed boost to the economy. Um, at the same time, I think there were uh, a lot of things government did wrong uh, during the pandemic, both with health policy and with fiscal policy uh, that has created some of the challenges that we dealt with. So I think that's another uh, takeaway, takeaway of mine is just thinking about the role that government plays in our society uh, and government leaders being very aware and being very conscious as, as they weigh policy decisions, understanding that their real world impacts, uh, again, both for good and ill, of the decisions that they make. Well, Phil, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Phil for joining us. We hope you learned something that can help inform and shed light. And as always, thanks for listening to the Informed Discussions podcast from the University of Utah's Kemsey Gardner Policy Institute at the David Eccles School of Business. 